We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It is your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, coming at you with a bit of a bit of a solemn moment here uh, in Knicks land, which is not something I ever thought I would be able to say from the second round of the playoffs. But um, life comes at you fast, as it were. Here with someone I'm very excited to talk to this game about and hopefully add some some much needed uh, context to the situation at large, uh, while also paying respect to um, the depravity that we witnessed on Saturday afternoon. Owen, Owen, was it depraved? Uh, Jeremy Cohen. Hello, sir. How are you? Been better, John. I've been better. Yeah, this was a rough week for Knicks basketball. And I just, I just want to know what the Knicks did in the three days leading up to game three, because I just, it was, it was embarrassing. The effort was so, as Clyde might put it, lackadaisical that it just, I didn't, I didn't recognize that team. There was nothing about that team that sparked anything. What we have seen in the past two months, three months, maybe even. So it was just disappointing to see them let go of the rope, but it wasn't even letting go of the rope because it never even felt like they were grabbing onto the rope in the first place for game three. Just yeah. out the gate, they never led the entire game. It's That's just a, ugly. It's a great analogy. <laughs> just awful. So the nice thing is, series isn't over. There's still game four. You always are going to have to win one in Miami. So that's what the Knicks have to look forward to. But it's just, uh, would certainly like them to be in a different spot than they're in right now. That being two and one. Nothing about how they played on Saturday. Nothing makes them deserve being up to one, though. It's just pathetic. Yeah. And what makes it a little bit tougher is I know for me and I we didn't speak after game two, uh, between game two and game three. But I know after game two, I was kind of pushing Not that there was a lot of it, but in the post game after game two, there was a certain amount of like negativity you know, amongst, you know, the people in the chat and whatnot. And 
I was trying to push back against that because I, you know, for the very simple reason of like, we're, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. We're the Knicks, you know, we shouldn't be taking second round playoff victories for granted. It's, it's a thing that has happened three times in the last 23 years. Like the circumstances were, you know, not, um, not as you would have wanted them with Jimmy Butler injured and even with Jimmy Butler injured, like they didn't exactly play like the best of games, but I was trying to put a positive spin on that. And then, you know, you take into larger account of how the, the, the playoffs at large, you look at other teams, look at other series. It's, you never want to take anything for granted. Um, so that was like very close in the rearview mirror to game three, even though they did as you say, have three days off. What they did with that time um, is a, is a mystery remains a mystery. Um, and like in the, in the, it's been 24 hours about since game three ended a little bit more than that as we're sitting here recording this now on Sunday night. And like, I have so much flying through my head and I, I, there, it, it could basically be grouped into two categories. There is the part of me that very much wants to, stay grounded and stay like keep looking at the bigger picture and also remember to zoom out and that playoff we i think me and you maybe especially although you're very good at not falling into the moment me maybe not as good but i think we 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 like to as fans attribute logic to all of this that we that we watch and when you see a performance that is that bad in the ways that it was that bad it's very difficult to like look at that and be like this is a self-contained entity we can we can we can leave this here and it does it is not reflective of anything else it is not reflective on any single player it is not reflective of the coach it is not reflective on us as a as a team um it does not change anything about that we've come to know about this team over the previous 80 uh 6 8 88 88 game or 89 i'm good at math uh 89 games um but like that's not how our our mind works even as we look around and you like i mean look no further than today you know sunday uh, because you know the philadelphia 76ers after they like two days after they looked like they didn't belong in the same city as the boston celtics let alone in the same building on the same court like came out and and won that won that game granted it was a tighter game than it should have been it was on their home court but like things could change in a hurry in the NBA, especially in the NBA playoffs. And like you, it is possible to have one game that looks as bad as the game we just saw and turn around and it not mean anything. And I could say all that. It doesn't make the loss feel any better. And it doesn't make me necessarily feel better about this team right now, as we're sitting here trying to talk about them and parse through some of the issues that we saw. So that's kind of where I'm, at and it's not a very comfortable place to be and for sure shit is not a place that I ever in a million years thought I would be if you had told me at any point during this year let alone before the year that I'd be sitting here having this conversation in the middle of the second round of the playoffs that's the part that's like kind of most stunning yeah but you know at the same time I mean the Warriors lost by how many points to the Lakers oh, and to the Lakers lost by 30 points yeah right so and I'm, this is more of a comparison it's more just Teams get blown out on the road frequently. Yeah. The Knicks were blown out in Cleveland. The benefit of that following game was it was we're coming back to New York. 
Whereas this is, okay, we still have to win one in Miami and we'd really like to not have to have every single game be a do or die for us. Yep. So, you know, that's the, it, it, I keep going back to the idea of, well, the Knicks going to cleaning the glass, second best offense, in the NBA, when you take out garbage time, uh, the issue is that it was efficiency and the Knicks have had poor efficiency, but then you look at Miami and Miami's had crap efficiency for most of the series, this series anyway. So it's almost, you know, the Knicks did a much worse job on the offensive glass in game three, but they did a great job in games one and two, but Miami was also comfortable with them playing their game, so to speak. I, I was at game two and I felt nervous the entire time because it just, it, Obviously, game one, you could say, well, the Knicks were playing without Randall and yeah. it, like they had Butler and whatever. And then game two was in the reverse. They, no team was fully was at full strength. And yet I didn't feel great about the win after game two. I was happy that it was a win. You take them. They still count as one, whether it's by yeah. a handful or by 30. It's the other stuff. It's the other part of it that needs to get cleaned up, which is just how do you tell a team that looked that flat to pick it up in Miami so that they don't go back down three games to one. That's That'll be on coaching. Um, that'll have to do with lineups. That's a lot of different things that we will get into. Yeah, no, we can get into it right now. So a- Andrew always kind of sets up these these shows with kind of a, a, a format, so to speak, about how we get into our discussion and um, today his let me read his the exact title uh, blame pie that is our that is our essay question blame pie who deserve who belongs in the blame pie chart for the for uh, the reasons the Knicks have fallen into a two one hole and how big are the slices and well you know I, I think that that is certainly where the mindset of most people is at and I I don't I don't think that that's incorrect. That there are there is there is blame to go around here. What is what's troubling to me is that who do you, who do you blame for a team that just comes out and seems like it is not ready for the moment when when that has been arguably. I say arguably because you could you could argue in a different direction, but I would say arguably the defining characteristic of this team for really I would say since Thibodeau got here, and obviously there are there are exceptions to the rule. Although if you go back towards last year, which was as disastrous as it could be, the issue was was more I would say losing big leads as opposed to, to to coming out flat, although there were certainly times that they came out flat because the starting lineup just stunk, which is a whole separate Thibodeau issue that we are now back to revisiting. But it's just again, it is it is so uncharacteristic of them to have come out in a way where it was very it was just blatantly obvious that they were not as prepared to play this basketball game as the other team. And that I mean, it has to fall on the players to a certain extent, but typically, like you know, your 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 coach gets you ready with the game plan. Your coach gets you ready to play. Your coach gets you ready to to execute in a way that you feel confident. Like if we do X, Y, and Z, this is going to work. It didn't seem like any of that was there, which is why, unsurprisingly, Tibbs or uh, Andrew has Tibbs listed in the first 
entry onto the possibility for the blame pie. And I haven't even gotten into the starting lineup change yet. I push back a lot against the tip stuff after the game. And I still feel like for certain reasons, it's a little bit much. And at the same time, I keep going over and over in my head, like, man, regardless of what you think about the starting lineup change. And I think that that's like become this, like not a red herring. Cause I think there's a lot of validity to it, but I, it's distra- to me, it's distracting from the, the main issue, which is that they did not come out ready to play. And even with the lineup that they had, it did not seem like they came out with a game plan that was tailor fit to succeed with the lineup they had on the floor to exploit, to, to emphasize the strengths of the lineup that they came out with and to exploit the weaknesses that the Miami Heat presented to them. And that's what I can't escape at the end. Yeah. Of the so then wouldn't that mean that that falls on Tibbs? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I can't. No, I, I I agree. Yes, I. It's tough for me because the lineup that got you here, the starting lineup that we know of, has now been scrapped, and it just feels like there's more of a focus on trying to stop Jimmy Butler than playing your own game. And your own game has gotten you to the point where you're here, right? It's not a fluke that the Knicks won what 47 games, that they yeah. beat the Cavs in five. They did that with talent. And everything was working well. And it has been working well. So to go to this where, yes, Josh Hart did a great job on Jimmy Butler. I just don't... Again, I've felt that Josh Hart is best suited in a role off the bench. He's not, to me, a starter. And that's fine. It's not about a level of talent. It's about certain fit and how how everything interacts. Just I don't love how he plays alongside RJ. It's. I mean, it. It's not good. It's. It's bad. It can, can I throw a stat at you? Please do. So uh, you, um, you probably know this one. They've already this this five man unit. The current current starting five. We'll see if it's a starting five for for uh, Thursday. Thursday. When do they play? Monday. My God, I'm. I've lost all sense of time. Um, they've already played seventy minutes in the playoffs together, which is by far the most of any five man unit. Do you want, you want to take a guess how many minutes that five man unit played together in the regular season? I'm gonna say twelve. You're off. Wow. I don't know if you looked that up or if that's I didn't. Yes. No. I, 11. Okay. Wow. 11 minutes together. And there's a reason why it only played 11 minutes together. And it's because considering all of the assets the Knicks have at their disposal to put those guys on the court together, it just feels clunky, you know? And, and yet, and yet at the same time, and I, I do want to at least acknowledge this because I do think it is worth acknowledging in an extraordinarily small sample size, the starting unit with Grimes in it in the playoffs had been struggling to score. And when I say extraordinarily small, it was like it was 29 minutes. So nothing. The unit with with Hart in place of Grimes had going into the game on Saturday had been scoring, I think, at about a one, 123 points per 100 possession clip, which is very good. I, I, I get all that. I appreciate all that. And I certainly appreciate what Josh Hart does. But I keep coming back to two things. And one is grounded what you just said, which is like they're selling out to stop Jimmy Butler. And I, I said it after the post game, and I think it deserves repeating. It's what Benji said at the start of the series. What, like, don't make the first adjustment. Make them make the first adjustment. Don't don't be reactionary before you have to be reactionary. You know, and I get there's a sense of, well, let's get ahead of the thing that we know is coming anyway. Well, you know, I that's why I said it several times last night. It just feels like Tibbs is just trying to outsmart himself. And while there may be logic to the decision, the results are now what the results are and it's not good. So I, I don't know how you, how you 
you know, how you run from that. And the Knicks, you know, again, came out flat for game three. Absolutely. I think we do also have to give credit to the Heat. Oh, in a the lot sense of, credit. of Right. Like, I don't, I know Knicks fans often might internalize it as what's going wrong. And there are things going wrong, but the Heat also have been doing a fantastic job. And the fact that they've been able to play this way, Kyle Lowry's resurgence without Tyler Hero, without Victor Oladipo, you know, like they've got players to stand up. And I know that Knicks fans are upset about calls. I have been upset about mm. them. Heat fans have been upset about the calls. I think it's yeah. just been a, a very ugly called series. So, yeah, it, like it just, I was honestly a reason I don't have the math to back this up because I don't think it really exists. And if it does, it's like, well, would you really? It's not a Ewing theory type thing, but <laughs> I felt more concerned in game two because they kept bombing away threes. And that was playing against the Knicks strategy in terms of three-point yep. frequency and, and the defense. So it was like, yeah, I'm obviously scared of Jimmy Butler, but this is also a completely different team when Butler's off the floor. And Jimmy doesn't have to do a whole lot. It's just the gravity that he has and the looks that he can create for the players who are waiting on the perimeter. But they did such a good job of passing the ball, always finding the open man. And I just think about it. I was like that, the way that the ball flies around in the half court, and even in transition too, is like when... Knicks don't do that. It, That's they, the, they have some nice passing, but it is not, you know, precise. Uh, just it's it just it's just not that. No, and that's the, a great job of it. And I think that's more than anything why, you know, in a, and we're going to get to the other slices of the blame pie because that's that. You, I, no secret where I get irked. I, I get irked when the when I, when I feel that there is a disproportionate share of blame going usually towards the coach or, but, but it's towards anyone, whenever there's a disproportionate amount of blame going, the fact that it does usually go towards the coach is reflective of how there are fundamental pockets of distrust for a lot of the reasons that have all come back like a, like an avalanche in the last 24 hours. It is the lack of creativity on offense um, it is being out coached by a coach who is seen as more of a 16 game coach as opposed to Tibbs, who is seen as more of an 82 game coach. It is the Randall thing, and we will get into the Randall thing in terms of like, like you know. But again, that's how much of that is on the player, and how much of that is on the guy that happens to be his coach. Like a lot, but but I, you just nailed it, which is like you're watching this other team. Which are they? Are they? much less talented than us? Are they slightly less talented than us? At the very least, even having the best player in the series, I think the talent at the very at best, if you're a Miami fan, you're going to say, okay, the talent is even. And I think there's an argument that the Knicks have more talent. Why is the team that is less talented going out there and looking so much more cohesive? And by the way, cohesive does not necessarily mean better in terms of results. Because guess who also shot 22% or barely above 20% from three yesterday? It was the Miami Heat. You know, they didn't make a whole lot of field goals anyway, but there was something about their process that was just top to bottom. It was sound, whereas our process was, I don't know what pejorative adjective you want to use, clunky, um, you know, kind of not not able to do anything that we wanted to do and doing everything the kind of the way they were dictating us to do. That's the part that I think irks most fans more than anything else. 
And that's fair. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that typically the team in the playoffs, the team with the superstar wins. Usually. Uh, usually it happens. I mean, I, I think superstar gets thrown around a lot. We, everyone has different varying degrees. For me, it's just kind of, you know, like the, like a Jimmy Butler type. I think, I think Jimmy's a superstar for sure. Oh yeah. And so how did Giannis go home? Because a superstar sent another superstar home. Um, <laughs> You know, like you look around the series right now, one of Devin Booker slash Kevin Durant and Nikki, Nikola Jokic is going to go home. It just top end talent matters so much. And again, the series is still salvageable. It's been three games. There are four left to play if they need it. But still love to see the Knicks be able to rattle off the next three. If it goes to seven, then so be it. But with that said, it's it's finding these opportunities to gain the exposure to the playoffs. And Coaches also grow through it, you know, but it's tricky because because there was a whole thing about Tibbs and adapting and, and it's all accurate, right? Like yep. he has, he gets better every year. This series has not been great. I thought they're also no. just uh, the last series. He, I thought he did a very good job overall. It was maybe one game was just wasn't my favorite. It doesn't matter. He, he had a great still, series. I thought he did. I thought he had a great overall, series. Yes. hundred yeah. percent. So it's just going against a team that's, so tested and everyone knows their role. And that's the thing about Miami. That's so good. It's they, they get a star in their role and they don't really ask them to do too much. And if they do more then that's great, but you know, you're not going to say to Max Struess, you have to be better than what you are. It's already, you're telling me that we found a really great player and he's on a minimum contract. Like that's the sort of mindset. And for the Knicks, it's the trickier part is okay. You're now turning Josh Hart into something he's not. It just it gets clunky. Everything gets stressful from there, and it just you know they're younger players. Also, it feels like they've been resilient all year, but there's a team that is very battle tested, and there's a team that's extremely green. And the team that's green is still tested enough where they're here for a reason. It's not a fluke that they're here. But the other team, it's it's such an odd team to consider. And I should have thought about this beforehand because I felt nervous about the Cavs series and then they won. And I felt good about this series and now they're (laughs) down to one. So maybe that this, the confidence should have been a deciding factor for me or a tip off of some sort, but this is a team that has been to the conference finals. What two of the last three years, I believe. And they went to the finals and well, Two of the two of the three years prior to this one, they have been to the conference finals. One of those years, they made it to the NBA finals. Yeah, right. So they know how to get around this. Now is their time. They are the fact that they have Kyle Lowry again playing at a higher level than he was earlier this season. Like they have people chipping in, and then you see the Knicks side. It's like, well, there's room to grow, but also Emmanuel quickly is hurt, and all these other players are hurt, but they're playing. So hopefully, IQ plays, but he's listed as doubtful. Maybe it's games and shit. Maybe it's not. I don't really know. But it really it's a sort it. of thing where you just you have to find a way to come together. And for a lot of these players, it just hasn't worked out in that way. And for Miami, it has. And that's that feels like the difference right now. We'll get to IQ in a second with the personal injury report. Um, but you you just nailed something, and it's. I brought it up now a few times and I feel like I need to bring it up just once more. If you look at the collective playoff experience, not only of the Miami Heat, but of every team that is still remaining in the playoffs and you look at where they have gone and how far they have gone and how many times they have gone there 
just over the last the three seasons prior to this one. And you compare and literally seven for seven, go through every single one of them, and you compare those seven to the Knicks, it's night and day. And I think even if you would argue that the Knicks have more talent than the Heat, which I just said a moment ago, and I believe, I think what you just said is so smart because it keys in on how at this time of year, experience not Trump's talent, but like where 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 it's close enough and I or, and it may not even need to be that close but where it's like in where you could see it on the horizon it could in the horizon it could bridge that gap so much and when you and if I was just thinking about this as you were talking how many guys did the heat as they were winning game three or in any game this series how many guys have you looked at them and or how many times have you looked at them on the floor and be like man the heat are really overextending that guy or the Heat are really putting that player in a position where they're not giving that player the best chance to be successful. I mean, you go up and down. You know, Jimmy Butler obviously runs the show. Everything revolves around Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo also does his fair share and does things. And it's deceiving, too, because Bam does things in a way that it, it doesn't always come out in numbers. It doesn't even come out in box score stats. But he is incredibly instrumental to so much of what he, they do on both ends of the floor, not just on defense, the both ends of the floor, because he can handle the ball. He's a throw with the ball. He's obviously a throw with screens, hashtag, hashtag legal screens. Um, but then like Kyle Lowry, you brought up like, is Kyle Lowry what he wants? No, of course, Kyle Lowry isn't what he once was, but can that dude still come in and for 10 or 12 minutes a game while Jimmy Butler's on the bench, run a dynamite NBA offense? Well, we saw that he can, and he do, could do it. And then if you just have those three ingredients, you know, Give me a little Gabe Vincent ball handling. Give me a little like Caleb Martin threat off the bounce. Like it's you don't need a lot more and everybody else just fits in. Whereas with the Knicks and I'm, I'm hearing myself talk and this is going to this sounds like kind of an apologist, but like the pieces are not fitting as well in this series and slotting in. It's like, OK, this is your role. This is your role. This is your role as they have during the regular season. And I think that that kind of brings us back to like how this team was built. And a lot of the questions coming into the postseason about can a team that really can't shoot succeed based, you know, in large part on their offense. And we're, you know, I think starting to get a a little bit of the answer here. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Let's do a menu quickly, really quick, and then we'll we'll go back to uh, finishing up our, our blame pie. So, uh, yes, this is the return uh, of the Weiss and Rosenblum personal injury report. Happy to have our friends at Weiss and Rosenblum back. Um, if you think you may have a personal injury case, you could call them today at 212-366-6100 or visit them at weissandrosenblum.com for more information. Uh, you know the drill by now. You can call Weiss and Rosenblum again, 212-366-6100. If you think you have a case, they will talk to you. They will explain everything you need explained. Absolutely free of charge. Doesn't cost you a dime. Give them a ring. They'll let you know um, their expert opinion. And if they do decide to take your case, um, they, of course, do not get paid unless you do. Uh, Prior results don't guarantee a future outcome. But if you need an attorney, go with a veteran, not a rookie. I guess Weiss Rosenblum is is Kyle Lowry in this this analogy. Or, Or should we make them Jimmy Butler? I don't know. I mean, either way, you're, you're you're in good hands, you know. Yeah, I, you absolutely are. And I mean, Kyle Lowry is an NBA champion. We should give him credit. Where he credit is too, hundred percent. And was with the Raptors <laughs> for all those years, even when they weren't winning the NBA yes, finals, he was, he was their leader. I know, but again, like I, I bring that up as a joke. Um, oh, but you could also visit westernrulesmove.com for more information. Forgot that part. I bring it up as a joke with Kyle Lowry, but like. Think about the fact that that dude was the best player or the most trusted player on a playoff team for half a decade. Like that institutional knowledge. Does, I, mean, I haven't even brought up Kevin Love's name. A, another guy who was like once upon a time thought of as like one of the 10 best players in the sport. Like he's on this roster. Like all that stuff matters. Anyway, uh, Emmanuel quickly. Doubtful. This is doubtful for game game four. Um, we don't know anything because the Knicks... Knicks don't say anything. Uh, he, he sprained his ankle when, who was it? Bam landed on his ankle. Uh, someone mm-hmm. landed on his ankle. Whatever. Yeah. Neither here nor there. I'm just going to ask you this. Two questions. One, and the, talk about a question that would have seen, seemed absurd three weeks ago. How big of a loss do you think this is? And two, if you can't go, what do you think the Knicks do? Uh, a few weeks ago, I would have said this is a huge loss. Right now, I'm going to say it's it's a it's a loss. It's a significant one, but there are times where it felt like he was starting to get his mojo back during Game Three, and so close. And then he, you know, he winds up hurting himself and or getting hurt. You know, it's just the defense is still going to be missed. He, that's what he does. Phenomenal defender, just exquisite. And so it's going to suck to not have that. Which is why I think the Knicks will try to replicate that by bringing in Deuce McBride and giving him some of the minutes that Emmanuel quickly would not have, or you know, would be having. Um, yeah. I don't know why it would be Evan Fournier. I, the Knicks lack primary ball handlers, and they're not going to bring in Derrick Rose at this point. So you bring in the tenth man, who is Deuce McBride. Yes, does it hurt your efficiency? It does, but you also hope that his defense hurts Miami's. It's just at a certain point where I look at Evan Fournier and I think he said one moment all year. And we're basically, it was a great moment, but <laughs> we're, we're moment. now hoping that he replicates that in the playoffs. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I just don't, I don't see it, but I see Deuce McBride, the guy who has had some action, limited minutes, but at least deserving of that opportunity where you hope the shot falls, but at least, you know, his defense is going to be there. And with Evan Fournier, there's really, it doesn't feel like there is a guarantee. Yeah, I mean, still is a great shot. But if he had a great shot, it would be a great shot this year. And it just hasn't been. So I don't think it's much of a comp- uh, 
the conversation. I think it's got to be Deuce McBride, and you roll from there. Um, I think, man, you you called it. You think you said you think it's a significant loss. Well, no, I I'm saying it. It's it's a very big loss. Don't get me wrong. It's just based on what we saw IQ at the end of the season, the regular season versus where we've been seeing IQ in the playoffs. It's it doesn't feel like as big of a loss, but it's still a very big loss, right? But again, the Heat are playing without their six man of the year player, right? Like so, it's, yeah. I'm I'm not, I'm not comparing one to the other, one to one. It's more just like there's no no offer different I'm, things, of course. But I think you're I think you're, I'm I'm just gonna come out and say it. I I think you're being kind. Um, I think you're being kind given what we have seen, and like I. I mean, if listen, anybody listening to this who doesn't think that I am a believer in Emmanuel quickly long term and throughout this year, like please go look at any like I wrote I think two 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 newsletters in like a three week span uh where they might as well have been entitled uh hey assholes in the front office if you think of trading this player, you all deserve to be fired. Uh, I don't know if that was the exact verbiage, but it was something close to that. Uh I've called him a quintessential Nick. I've called him at times the the most consi- the, the best two way player on the team this year. Oh yeah, uh, I thought he deserved consider. I mean, again, that's like it's yeah. No, everybody I, I'm has thinking the- Mitchell Robinson, but no, but even still, dude. yeah, everybody has like different that's definitions. Fair. Like, what does that mean? Like, how much? How do you factor? Like, how good someone is on off? But the point is, he takes nothing off the table. Or for eighty two yes. games, he took nothing off the table. Eighty one games because missed one game. Um, you're not going to find a bigger Emmanuel Quickly fan than me and yet I think you're being you're being kind by saying it's a big loss because he is so out of sorts on the offensive end that I think it is it is it is actively detracting from when uh, when he is on the court now now we have not seen a ton of time with him on the court in the postseason with the prototypical closing lineup that the Knicks used for a lot of the towards the end of the year for the heart trade, which is him, Hart, Brunson, Randall, and usually Hartenstein. We saw a little bit of it in game three. And for like a hot minute, I was like, man, yes, this is it. Okay. And you're starting to get the feels back for like three possessions. And then it kind of went away. Um, Perhaps not coincidentally when Emmanuel quickly missed, some shots because he's been doing a lot of that over the postseason for the postseason through eight games. Uh, he is shooting 35% from the field and 24% from three averaging uh, one assist per game uh, and just over one turnover per game. And again, this is a guy who did not turn the ball over at all during the regular season, took incredibly good care of the ball. I'm, I'm, bar- I'm, I'm belaboring the point, which is like, I'm not going so far as to say like, this is a, you know, this is a, um, you know, secretly a good thing. I can't go that far, but like just based on how he's played, do I think the Knicks can overcome the loss of menu quickly based on how we, what we've seen the last eight games? Absolutely. I think they can. I think you nailed it with Deuce. And yet I was going to get on here and I, I was going to go on a rant about the idiocy of anybody who could possibly think that Evan Fournier or Derek Rose could possibly be the answer. And yet, one of those two names is giving me pause. It's not Evan Fournier. <laughs> Please don't, don't come anywhere near the court, Evan Fournier. 
Is it that insane? Yes. That insane? Yes. Derrick Rose? It's yes. that insane. Okay. Yes. All right. I, I mean, the next It's like fair. No, listen. That's why I asked the question. I, I genuinely asked the question. I, I, no, I, I know you are, and I'm trying to be kind. And at the same time, I'm trying you don't to, have to be kind. Down. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just very mean to Emmanuel quickly. You could be sure. just this mean to me. So, um, Derek Rose, since <laughs> the beginning of, two, of 2023, has played under five minutes of basketball. Yeah. I think he's made like so, no. has he made a shot in that time. He has not made a shot. I know he's um, attempted a bunch because every time he comes in, he starts chucking them up. I just he look. is zero for eight in four minutes and fifty one seconds. There you go. That's the, look. That's so that's no. my answer. Yeah, it's the right answer. I just did want to raise the question because again, in a series in which we have seen a young team um, seemingly get a little bit. Um, unnerved by the bright lights of the moment. Um, I, it's just tough because I don't. I, we, we have no idea wh- where Derrick Rose's basketball ability is at this point, which is why, again, your response is the correct one. I think and it also... We, we, we do, sorry. though. No, we do. We know where it is. We, <laughs> if he... John, if he were... If he were better, he'd good be Good enough, he'd be in the rotation. Yeah. It took yeah. how long for Tibbs to have him removed? And by have him removed, I mean have him remove, not remove Derek Rose from the rotation, so to speak. Like, we know it, what's there. We know okay. what we're getting. I, but I, I hear you in terms of the, the playoff experience, right? And it, the funny thing about it is Jalen Brunson has probably the most playoff experience of any Nick. Yeah. And this is his third postseason, and he's 26 years old. Yeah. I, and I think also if you're looking at other, like a player like Emmanuel Quickly and wondering where did his abilities go and, and all of that and worried about it. Jalen Brunson in his first playoff series in Dallas was removed from the rotation at times. Yeah. He was unplayable. He's playing behind. And, uh, um, oh my God. I was going to say Tyrone Lou. He was playing behind. Um, was it Terry? No? no, it was a, well, once a Nick, always a Nick uh, scored 42 points in, in Charlotte. Oh, oh Trey Burke. God, yeah. Trey Burke. Thank Trey you. Burke. Yes. He found a way, got better, got a little older and, you know, Kyle Lowry, he didn't have a good playoff experience until he was 27 years old. It was the second time he ever made it. It was not great in the year after that. And then the year after that, yeah. he was fantastic. Long term, quickly, he's going to be fine. Sure. It's, yeah. I guess I'm going back to the conversation in terms of how much experience matters and how inexperience can still get you where you need to be. So you do want to see Derek Rose. <laughs> But you also have to be good enough to get those minutes. That's no, I, I know. I, 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 I'm again. I'm being a little facetious here. At the same time, like, um, look and and look. The answer is play Deuce, um, and maybe still go to an eight man rotation even with Deuce in it because I, I, I don't, I don't know if we should talk about Obi Toppin. Uh, not talk about bright the lights being a little bright uh, for him at the moment, but. Yeah, because you don't. Again, you want to you want to go with what got you here, and Derrick Rose did not get you here. Like Deuce McBride helped get you here in a big way. And when he was removed for the rotation from the rotation, it was not because Deuce McBride was doing anything wrong. It's because they acquired Josh Hart and they wanted to stick with the nine man, which is fine. So I, I think it should be Deuce. I think Deuce deserves a chance. Um, just want I just want to raise the question. That's all. Just wanted to raise. I, I just want to hear it out loud. Mm-hmm. And now I can go back in my in my hole. Good. Um, okay, I did the thing that I got mad at people for doing last night, which is to 
Barry, who I would argue deserves at least as much of the blame pie, if not the the lion's share. And um, it's we're talking for almost thirty five minutes, and and here here he comes up now, and that's Julius Randall. Um. <sighs> exactly. Can, can, what? Exactly. <laughs> can I give you Julius's stats for the postseason? I'd rather you didn't, but yes, please do. You 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 would rather I didn't. I would rather uh, you didn't, but you need to, and I I'll just have to deal with it. So, and look, we want to pay uh, homage to what was a good game two against Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was a good few minutes in game five against Cleveland before he got injured. And uh, what was a good first half against Cleveland in game one. Note those three things for the record Uh, in 31 minutes a game of the postseason, he's averaging 15 points. He is shooting 34.6% from the field overall. That is slightly worse than Emmanuel quickly, except Julius Randall is taking nearly twice as many shots, uh, 15.3 shots per game. Um, And he is shooting 22.9% from three on just under uh, seven three-point attempts per game, 3.6 assists uh, to 3.1 turnovers. Uh, that is not what you want uh, from a guy that is taking um, the, let's see here, how many, in terms of field goal attempts per game, where do you think Julius ranks in the NBA this postseason? Decently? Oh, man. Like, like in terms of his number of field goal attempts per game, is it? It can't. I feel like it's not that high. It's it's uh, kind of it's okay. it's thirtieth. Uh, he's that's where his fifteen point uh, three field goal attempts per game ranks. Uh, one spot below Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid taking fifteen point five uh, field goal attempts per game. Uh, it's a lot. I mean, it, look. The point is, he's taking a lot of shots and he's missing a lot of shots. And yes, and he's been doing that the whole postseason. And I think we've been collectively, you know, taking it easy on him, taking it easy on him, taking it easy on him because the other stuff hasn't been there. Well, game three, the other stuff got there and it was just, I, 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 I'm, I'm losing the words. Do you, do you have words for, for Julius, Jeremy? Just the lack of process throughout the entire game on both sides of the floor just felt so choppy and uneven. I'll, I'll say this though, what I was pleased about, there was what turned out to be much ado about nothing where there was a fear of what happens when the other team tries to get under Julius Randall's skin. And then Julius gets mad and he's all just Cody Zeller pushed him to the ground. Julius's reaction was not to stand up and then charge at him. It was, it was a much more subdued Julius, which is an important part of it. You still have to back it up. He, he's not been able to back it up. And that's, that's the challenge where you get someone who has taken you so far, right? With other cast members as well, but he's just not getting you there. He's not going toe to toe with the superstar. It's nope. not happening. And you don't, you don't need him to do it. But you need him to at least get to a point where you don't feel that he's a liability on either end. And yet, at the same time, it felt like how many other players were a liability for the Knicks on the offensive end? Uh, they were on I the offensive end, third percent. Yeah, well, on the offensive end, there there was some effort, but they were third percentile, I believe, uh, of an offense in Game Three. But just on the defensive side, the problems are well known. They're not going to 
get significantly better. Although we certainly saw in the we hear year that Julius was a phenomenal defender. It's just this will always, and this is a conversation for another time, but the thought I had was when the Knicks brought in Jalen Brunson, they said, we know that we're bringing in someone where you have to scheme around him defensively. And mm-hmm. that means you need to then have a unit that's more cohesive that can cover for him. And yet I feel like you could say similar about Julius in that he's not nearly as small. I mean, my God, he's, he's enormous. Um, it's just the process and the ability on the defensive end where if it's all kinetic, if he's not processing and you also got an area of weakness elsewhere on the defensive end, it's just, everything's out of whack. And that's, it's just always going to be the trouble with Julius. You know, like that's just, that's simply what it's going to be. You just hope that he can find those games within him to say, all right, I just have to be competent on defense and the offense. I just need to be efficient. Well, just try, you right. know, because it's like, game then, one how of, often have we said that? Yeah. What was it? Game it was game one or game three of the first round where Julius just was not, just wasn't it. And yet oh. you, you look at, the, I think it was game three. You look at the stat line. You're like, wow, it didn't seem like that was a problem. And then I, I believe it was game four where the effort was not there, but the same or similar stat lines were there. It was like, yeah, that's that's the difference between a good game or good process, bad game and bad process, bad game. And the, as it always is with Julius, you always, you, you know, and now with an injury thrown in, it's like, do we attribute it to the injury? Do we attribute it to, you know, he's just not feeling it tonight. Like, you know, is, is everyone's he gonna, playing hurt. Sorry to interrupt yeah, you. It's no, no, that. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not saying it as a valid excuse. It's just we always, we always come back to the same shit where we have to have the same discussion over and over again where Julius Randle is concerned, and that is why, you know, I do have sympathy for people who, even after all he has accomplished for this franchise, and God knows he has accomplished a lot for this franchise in the four years that he has been here, um, you know, to see a game like that, um. It, you know, it, it much in the same way, I think a lot of people saw that, that game and were like, this is why I'm done. I'm, I'm I'm cool with if they move on from Tibbs, despite all that he's done with us. I think there's probably a lot of people that feel the same way about Julius. Again, despite the fact that he's been an instrumental part of a team that is now in the second round of the playoffs and like they're not here without him. But when you get that sort of a game uh, to that degree and it seems that blatant in, in spots, it's now, listen, come back tomorrow and erase it from everybody's memory. You know, he's capable of doing that. We've seen him do it before. Is he going to do it now? You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, we have several other contenders for the rest of the blame pie before we just finish up with, um, with some, some quick, you know, predictions, predictions for the rest of the series. I don't know. Maybe we could each pick one, one thing to go with here. Uh, some things that, that Andrew has written down here. Mitchell Robinson, nowhere near as dominant or uh, as impactful as he was versus Cleveland. Uh, grouped together here, the the trio of Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, and Obi Toppin. Um, just none of them have made themselves very effective. You already brought up uh, the Miami Heat, just kind of tipping your cap to the Heat playing well. And then, and Andrew notes this might be unfair because he's largely played well, even though he is 0 for 12 from three, you know, Jalen Brunson. Um, I just want to say for the record, I like Jalen Brunson did not have a great game in game three, but I, and some of that is on him, but also like you were talking about like Jimmy Butler and how Jimmy Butler like gets to, you know, 
the Heat make the offense work really well around Jimmy. In the first quarter alone uh, against Miami in game three, Jalen Brunson was there taking th- uh, three long twos. Now, he can make those long twos. He has made a lot of those long twos this year. He's very good from that range. But it was like very poor process that got to that point. Now, how much do you want to put that on on the coaching? How much do you want to put that on Brunson himself? But like, I, I'm not putting any blame on Brunson. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Mitch, and maybe that's a little unfair. Um, but and maybe it's because he raised his own expectations so high after the Cleveland series. But just for me personally, I don't think I've been underwhelmed by anyone in this series more. Than Mitchell Robinson, he, um, it's not that the like some number. I mean, he has twelve offensive rebounds in three games. It's not like he has nothing. Uh, he's two blocks though. Like again, blocks aren't everything. You can protect the rim. Oftentimes, you're going to get very few blocks if you protect the rim adequately because no one wants to shoot anytime you're near the rim. That is not the case in this series though. Um, it's just he's just has not been the same as Andrew wrote. He has not been the same presence. If there's another guy that is going to get my personal piece of the blame pie, I'm, I'm going to go with Mitch. Yeah. And again, we just talked about injuries, not everyone's hurt, but I do wonder how much of his hip is impacting. That's fair. Game because he just hasn't looked the same since that. And at game two, it seemed like he was kind of laboring as well at a certain moment where I think there was some impact there too, it might have, I don't want to say re-aggravated, but it certainly impacted the area that he might be playing hurt. And because uh, he was just so dominant. And yeah, you're saying the boards, it's it's there, but I don't know. It's I, I if On I defense had to say in particular, player, I think is where I, the, the, the drop off has been more noticeable for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, the I mean, I have it here. It's just the the sheer amount of frequency of shots that the heat took at the rim in game three compared to games one and two is staggering, right? Yep. Game two, you can understand because they mostly shot from three because they didn't have Jim Butler and the paint wasn't collapsing as much game one. The frequency was 47% or 47th percentile game two. It was 41st and game three it was 83rd. So the heat recognized, let's just cut to the basket and it worked for them. So, yeah, I, I hear you in terms of Mitch, and I almost, I feel bad about this player because I don't think that they deserve to be called out in the way that it sounds like I'm calling them out because they're we just talked about however many players ahead of them where I would be upset. Uh, but it's it's difficult when you're not getting meaningful production behind Randall when Randall's already struggling, yeah. and that's what happens with Obi. You know, I mean, the Knicks are they care a lot about having corner threes, right? That's off-ball movement shooting. It's an efficient... It's a a poorly efficient team that is relying on someone to get the easy looks. And Obi is often able to stand there. And the funny thing is, in the playoffs, I mean, he's he's done well at the corner. But in general, he takes a lot of corner threes and historically doesn't really hit them. And it's hard when everyone is not hitting their shots. Like Again, it's it was difficult because I didn't want to call RJ for not hitting his shots because other players aren't doing it. I feel the same way about Obi. It's just as a unit, it's not falling for so many of them, but it's harder when the player that's there isn't the most efficient one to begin with. And you're asking them to hit shots. You love them to take again in the playoffs. He's done a nice job of that. Don't get me wrong. It's just, it's harder when he's not efficient, when he's not able to 
just play off in the way that we would hope for. So again, the players that are well ahead of him in terms of the blame pie, but I think Obi has to get the call for this one. Uh, in this series, RJ Barrett is eight of twenty-one from three. Uh, mm-hmm. He's the by far the next leading three-point shooter in this series, thirty-eight percent. And Obi is is next at twenty-nine percent of five of seventeen. Um, for the um, the postseason as a whole, Obi shooting a little bit better, eleven of thirty-four from three for thirty-two point four percent. That's second best behind Josh Hart and a little bit ahead of Barrett again for the playoffs as a whole. But again, I would just like note the degree of difficulty on those shots is like at Bo- Cleveland gave him those shots. Miami's giving him those shots. You know, they're they're open. You, you got to hit, hit open uh, catch and shoot threes at a higher clip than that. I, I don't think that's a bad pick at all. OK, um, let's finish up with this. And I, I look, we've, we've everybody knows the X's and O's at this point in the series. Everybody knows what happened in game three. Everybody knows what happened in game one, game two. Um, as, as Tib said before the series, we, we, he knows who we are. You know, we know who they are, you know, let's go. It hasn't worked out so well. What is, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to phrase it. What needs to happen for the Knicks to win game four? I have a couple ideas, but I'll, I'll, you know, turn to you first. Sure. I'd love to see Quentin Grimes get back into the starting lineup. That'd be a nice start. In addition to that, again, it's just, I feel as though this is a team that has beat Miami three times in the regular season. And Miami is now actively worse than they were those times where the Knicks won. Because they're missing at least one key player and also Victor Oladipo, who played a role but was not nearly as good as Tyler Hero. Just go back to the game that you are you're designed at. You know how to guard Jimmy Butler. You don't have to keep sending help. You don't have to make it so you leave all these shooters who are available on the perimeter who can hit those shots. And if they can't hit that shot, you know who's probably going to? The guy that they just whipped that pass to who the Knicks aren't even covering above the break or in the corner. Or it's back to the guy above the break because it was just in the corner. It's It's really the processing and giving a shit, so to speak. Right? Like that is more of the mantra. And I would like to think that you got your ass handed to you in game two. You came back, you had a nice game three. Okay. Game three did not go well at all. Terrible game, but throw in the trash. It would have been a loss, whether it was by one point or by 40 points. So you start fresh and you just have to win one in Miami and then you protect New York. That's, that's just how it goes. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well. And if there's overlap or anything different. Yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, I would just say, I do think it's worth noting playoffs are a different animal. And as a playoff seasoned veteran team, all the things we talked about earlier, you know, for as much as on, whereas on the roster wise, they're not the same team that the Knicks beat three out of four times in the regular season in terms of the level of preparedness, preparation, you know, them coming with the requisite attitude. Like if Miami was this, even with this roster and they had prepared and played like this for the, you know, the regular season, they, they would not have been a, a seven seed. So I just, I want to throw that out there. Otherwise I, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I, you know, what it comes down to me for, for me, Jeremy is like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's first possession of the game. What is the shot that I want the Knicks to get? And how do I want them to get that shot? And then it comes back to, okay, who am I confident shooting the ball right now? And right now, the, I mean, like, 
after that game, you really don't have confidence in anybody shooting the ball. But throughout the playoffs, I feel like you have confidence in Jalen Brunson with the ball in his hands. Jalen Brunson making things happen. Jalen Brunson starting to knock over the dominoes, um, but doing it on his terms. Okay. So how do you get back to Jalen Brunson trying to do things on his terms? Well, obviously, you try to give him more space to work. Now, I think, as you said, and as everybody has said for the last, I mean, 24, 48, 72, however many hours, uh, move Quentin, moving Quentin Grimes back in the starting lineup is something that could be, and it seems obvious. I wonder if there isn't a slightly more drastic change, and that is instead of moving Josh Hart to the bench, maybe moving RJ Barrett to the bench. Now, as I say that, I know for one, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, I don't even know that it should happen. But the reason, and three, RJ Barrett's been the second best Nick in the playoffs. And uh, um, I mean, give or take a Mitchell Robinson because of how good Mitchell Robinson was in the Cavs series, I, I'll still give RJ Barrett the edge. I think RJ Barrett's been the second best Nick in the playoffs after Jalen Brunson. However, in this iteration of the starting lineup, if you want Josh Hart out there for the reasons you want Josh Hart out there, and unlike a lot of people, I do think that there is merit to wanting Josh Hart out there with the starting lineup, even though I don't think he they operated well with him out there in game three, and I don't think he they got the most out of him. Replacing RJ with someone who is a better perimeter defender um, and a more aware perimeter defender, and obviously someone who is a better shooter and uh, I think a, a quick decision maker, just someone who gives a little bit of a jolt to the offense. I think that would help. I don't think, as Benji said, I'll steal Benji's line from a text he sent earlier today. It's not the silver bullet, but it is a bullet. It's specifically moving Grimes into the starting lineup. I don't think he wants to sit RJ. I don't think anybody other than me would want to sit RJ. But it's just a thought that I had, and I just wonder, okay, maybe you don't go out there with RJ on the bench, but maybe you move it's a quick hook, you know, and bring in Grimes for him or Hart for him. If you go back to Grimes and starting lineup, whatever. It's just the current starting lineup is not working. And I think that's another change that they could use. Um, and then again, I feel bad saying this because I, I still believe in him as an NBA player. I still believe in him potentially as a very useful, good NBA player in a significant role. Uh, I think I'm, I'm done with Obi for this postseason, or at least for this series. Let me rephrase that. For this series. I think we've seen enough of Obi in this series. And if you if quickly's out, play Deuce, go with an AMA rotation, and bring absolute hellfire on defense for any I mean you should do it for the whole game, but especially when Deuce McBride is out there. Like that is something that he gives you that nobody else on the roster gives you. And take it to them Try to force some turnovers. Try to force some splash trade, splash, splash plays. Try to get yourself some easy buckets that way because the Knicks have not gotten a lot of that in this series. Um, so those are two things that, that 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 I would do. But again, it really just comes down to what what are what are the play calls that you are that you are making to try to get Jalen Brunson in spaces and uh, where he can not have to make life so difficult on himself to make shots. And that's, that's X's and O's stuff. And like, I'm not going to try to sit here and fucking pr- pretend I know the best methods of that, but I do know that there are ways to go about doing that because we have seen them. 
in all sorts of different lineup iterations. And then the last thing I would just say, and, and this is it, is like, you know, RJ said something after the last game, after game three, where he's like, I don't care who's in front of me, whether it's Bam, whether it's Jimmy, I'm going to have the same approach. This is not the series to have this that mentality. And I mean that for RJ, and I mean that for Julius. And I mean that for Jalen Brunson, too. Although Jalen Brunson, I don't think, has done it as much. It's mostly been Julius and a little bit RJ, where the Heat have two all-world caliber defenders. And then you want to say Gabe Vincent's feisty? Okay. They have two all-world caliber defenders and a bunch of defenders who are either not good, bad, or like maybe top out as okay. Figure out a way to go at those other guys. Like that is how you are going to win the series, and that is not what you have done at all. And I don't want to hear. I, I I'm tired of seeing possessions end where someone goes at either a Bam at a Bio or a Jimmy Butler. That is not where your bread is going to be buttered in this series. And um, we saw it enough in Game Three for my disliking. Um, fix that. You know, again, don't don't put that's playing into their hands. Um, that's all I really that's all I really got. I wouldn't take Obi out just based on the fact you're talking about get, trying to get those easy points. But Obi leaking out in transition is a way to get those easy points. As There's well. a flip side to that coin, which is leaking out too early, which he's done a few times. Sure. Also, of course. But know? it's still at least that's more effort than I feel like a lot of the other players have shown. <laughs> But you want your, you you want your, it it has to be sound effort. We're talking about execution, right? It has to be sound effort too. Like just misplaced effort is, is, is almost in some ways worse than no effort. Well, maybe not, but like you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. But then if you take him out of the series, you're relying more heavily on Randall, which then puts more stress on him to play well. I mean, I'll take my chances going small uh, when, when Randall's on the bench, I'll take my chances. I get it. I understand. I just wouldn't take Obi out entirely. It's radical. It's radical. But both, I mean, obviously, the first thing I proposed is very radical, and and that's radical in its own right. So, I don't know. Um, How about this? Play better. That's 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 my suggestion. Play better. (laughs) Get it back to a game. Get it back to a game five. All's forgiven. You know, two two. And that's mm-hmm. and then that's all you need to do. Um, Jeremy, it's been fun as always. Uh, everybody out there, thanks for checking out another episode of the Next Film School podcast. Uh, don't forget, um, leave a rating if you uh, dig the show. Obviously, if you're kind enough to leave a review, do that as well. We appreciate those. And we will be back with you uh, with more fun and games very soon. Peace out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.